0: Good evening, and welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. I'm Lauren from the wonderful Wales in the UK, and with me is my co-host...
1: Brian, in fabulous New York, USA. Oh, it's good to talk to you again, Lauren. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm I'm good. Uh, apparently, neither of us got the coronavirus yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's getting a bit scary here. I don't know about in America, but...
1: It's getting very scary in America, especially in yeah. New York. But you know, we only talk about syphilis state- on this show.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is true. That's the only epidemic we concern ourselves will us concern ourselves will, with and um according to the little Easter egg on the last show that I only <laughs> knew about after it went I thought- on air. Um, <laughs> we're all gonna get it.
1: I, I thought you'd appreciate that. Uh, this is all syphilis, all day. Um, Robert Anderson will be coming on to discuss the mighty syphilis very soon. But uh, <laughs> we got a, we got a, we got a different I'm show tonight. I'm quite surprised
0: that we've managed. Yeah.
1: Uh, you, <laughs> we've managed what not to get syphilis talking to Robert.
0: I'm quite surprised. I'm quite surprised we've managed to hold him off for this long with the passion that he holds for <laughs>
1: Oh, he'll be on. <laughs> but tonight, <laughs> tonight we're not talking about the uh. big <laughs> we're not talking about the big S tonight. We're talking about the big boat, the Titanic. The Big uh, T. The big T. Not
0: Tumblety.
1: Not tumble tea. This is no Tumblety involved in the Titanic. <laughs> but before what was we do, that? <laughs> ooh. We can't link Tumblebee to the <laughs> Titanic, can we?
0: He's dead No, He was dead. Yeah, he's dead. Oh.
1: And what did he he's die the of? The
0: ghost of Tumblebee. Ciferis. <laughs> <how it> <laughs> 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 we're just being uh, we're just being really nerdy. I wonder how much of this are you cut.
1: Oh, very little. Very little. I, I love keeping the syphilis stuff. <laughs> Did you know, Lauren, did you know millions and millions of people around the world listen to podcasts?
0: I did know that, and I'm one of them.
1: Yeah, but they're not listening to this one. <laughs> See, we got to get them listening to this one. So everybody out there who listens, tell a few of your friends about it. and Have them tell a few friends about it. And, you know, tell them, don't, don't worry, they won't get syphilis just listening to the show. Oh, no, I think I lost Lauren.
0: No, I'm here. I'm here.
1: Oh, no, oh, there she is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're not going to get syphilis just from listening to the show, so... You, you might be.
0: The, the jury's still out on that one.
1: Well, it depends on who you're listening to the we show with. We haven't
0: contacted the Center for Disease Control.
1: <laughs> and it really does all depend on who you're listening to the show with and what you're doing at the time.
0: And if there's protection involved.
1: Exactly. <laughs> or if Tumble T's involved.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I hope you. if Tumblety's involved... Contact a friendly Ghostbuster. I recommend Zach Zach Bagans because I think Tumblety would love a bit of Zach, and I think he... <laughs> he.
1: I'm sure he would love a little bit, probably a little bit more than a little bit of Zach, but. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: that would that would that would be. I'm quite surprised that you and Mike haven't reached out to Zach Bagans because he would be all up in that story.
1: Uh, well, you know my take on the supernatural <laughs> and the paranormal.
0: Yeah, but it would be funny Just just to see what they would do with it Just to see, you know Because, again, Zach is quite macho And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that But it would be quite interesting To um, see how he would deal with the potential Of a a troubled homosexual spirit
1: (laughs) Oh, he was a troubled living man There's There's no question about a troubled spirit Oh, totally. yeah. So he is the gift that keeps. I think. On I think giving. you
0: should. I think you should. I think you really should contact Zach Bagan to with, like, "Hey, did you know about this American maybe, or Irish American?" Maybe we should contact that him to come on this show. That was actually a Jack the Ripper. Oh, that, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, maybe
1: we'll reach out to him to come on this show. Now there are some uh, some people that I've reached out to lately, so we got a whole bunch of guests coming up in the in the upcoming weeks. Um, But again, tonight is about the Titanic. And, you know, believe it or not, I actually had like three other people reach out to me and say, oh, I would love to do a Titanic show. So apparently the Titanic's a big deal out there. I thought it was, you know, that first round draft pick of the Buffalo Sabres Morris Titanic they were talking about. But apparently it was a boat. Pretty big boat. It is a yep.
0: And from the film I saw, um, it had some descendants of Leonardo DiCaprio on it.
1: Yeah, 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 Leo was there apparently. I don't know how he got away. He survived. He didn't survive it, but he survived it because he's still around. Before we go on to the Titanic, though, I think we should uh, give our today in history. And uh, whose turn was it to go first this time?
0: Um, I think it is mine. Am I right? Am
1: I wrong? If not, you know, we'll get an email or something telling us that, you know, we were out of order, but that's okay.
0: Continuity errors, Saoji!
1: That's right, it's not. But I will let you go first, so... It's all right. You're all... You're, it's you.
0: Okay, so mine is from 1629, and from the reign of Charles I. On the 10th of March, 1629, Charles I dissolves Parliament, and for 11 years... So we were ruled entirely by the king without any input from the peers of the realm for 11 years.
1: And how did that work out for you?
0: Um, Well, it it ended in a civil war, which was fantastic.
1: I, uh, I, again, am going a little bit more recent in history than that, but I am in 1862, where March 10th of 1862, the United States... For the first time issued paper currency, uh, currency bills in the denominations of 5, 10, 20, 50, 100, 500, and $1,000 bills were made available to the public as legal U.S. currency. 1862. Do you know we still have seven uh, bills in currency in the U.S., but they're not those seven.
0: What seven are they, then?
1: Because I don't know. Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, actually, the seven that we have in circulation now are the $1 bill, the $2 bill, the $5 bill, the $10 bill, the $20 bill, the $50 bill, and the $100 bill. We no longer have a 500 or 1000 but we did add a $1 and a 2 But that's it. Today, in history, the U.S. said we're going to use paper money.
0: I thought you'd have gone with the Abraham Lincoln one.
1: I was going to go with Abraham Lincoln, you know, getting his, uh, his patent today. Or I was going to go with Alexander Graham Bell making the very first phone call today.
0: Yes, he wanted to start phone calls with a hoy hoy.
1: He did. Which, uh, you know, I think they should have.
0: They should have, because then everybody would do Mr. Burns from The Simpsons.
1: Yeah, instead we get people saying, yellow...
0: Oh what's up? What's up?
1: Yeah, I can't stand those uh, those calls.
0: Uh, that's so early to happen.
1: But yeah, I get uh, I, I I still have friends who answer the phone yellow, and I just just drives me
0: nuts. Oh, that's cute.
1: It's not cute.
0: I just it is cute.
1: I uh, it is cute. <laughs> uh, I guess. But that's my day in history. And, uh, and I wish I had some of that paper money to spend right now, but uh, I got no paper money.
0: Aww.
1: I know. People should send paper money. Is that because money. you're worried
0: about... <laughs> I, I, <laughs> are you worried about the coronavirus? Is that why? I,
1: I'm, I'm worried about the coronavirus. I'm, I'm stockpiling um, cat food. Actually, that's the funny thing. Everyone said, you know, go to the stores and buy everything you can that you're going to need in case you're quarantined. And I, the only thing I was worried about was cat food. So I wasn't stocked up on cat food in case they run out that's of it. In stores. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. But, you know, if they run out of cat food in stores, I don't want her like, you know, killing me in my sleep for food or something.
0: Well, it's quite easy because you could just like offer her human food.
1: I, I could and she well and she... she eats it anyway
0: I hear she's very partial to the chicken nuggets
1: she does she steals chicken nuggets she's a little chicken nugget thief but then it's too big yeah. for her to actually eat so we have to like tear it into pieces for her
0: but that's her your job you're her slaves
1: well she steals it and runs like haha I got away with something then she comes back all sad with it still in her mouth like uh, can you rip this into pieces for me it's <laughs> it's adorable
0: We need to do a feature with Cleocatra. She needs to come on.
1: Oh, she'd be a great guest. Yes. But our guest tonight is also (laughs) going to be a great guest. Um, We have Amanda Lloyd coming on, and you know Amanda quite well. You've actually uh, met her in person, spent some time with her.
0: I have, yes. She's very lovely, very friendly, very nice. She looks after everybody when we go to conferences and stuff. And she runs a really successful page on Facebook called um, Ripperology Books and More.
1: Amanda is just a wealth of knowledge, and she's going to be an unbelievable guest. And we're going to get her on the line in just a few moments. Uh, but before we do that, again, I think we should give our social media information. You can reach out to us at at ta history at Twitter, or you can reach out to us at trans.history.rambling at gmail.com or on our facebook group run by lauren which is it is
0: history ramblings with lauren and brian
1: and that's facebook group it is a private group but you know send a you know request to join lauren's very good at going over those requests there is a question you have to answer but it's a relatively simple question and again we talked about it on the first episode if you want to go back and listen to it or you can look it up online while you're uh, submitting the request but uh, reach out to us on any of those platforms I
0: do have a question um, about um, have we had any new feedback about our new episode because I'm quite interested about that
1: uh we have um we Woo! we have had actually we've had several requests to bring physics dave back on because people want him to explain string theory um
0: oh that would be good
1: yeah so i asked him hey would you be able to explain string theory in 15 minutes and after he was done laughing he said uh i'll try so in the next week or two, Physics Dave will come back on to explain string theory. Uh, we've had a couple requests for other shows people would like to hear. We've had some comments um, from people saying, "I don't know how she puts up with you. You're obnoxious." We actually, we actually, what? Yeah, we actually got feedback saying well, they don't know how Lauren puts up with me. I'm obnoxious. <laughs> I don't know,
0: but. You're not obnoxious.
1: Uh, Apparently, someone thinks I'm obnoxious. I think it was my mother that sent that one in.
0: (laughs) 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 Where'd you get all these reviews? Because I've not seen them.
1: (laughs) And uh, I I get them through. um, They some have come in through Twitter. Some have come in through the mailbox. Um, some have been left as feedback on the uploading site where I host the podcast. Yeah, so I think that that, uh, that message came in from my mother, so... I'm the obnoxious one, apparently. <laughs> eh, it happens. What about you? Have you heard anything from anybody about the show?
0: No, I haven't. That's why I was asking you.
1: No one's saying that Brian's obnoxious, or...? No. No? Well, maybe someday we'll get letters that say, how can you put up with her? But <laughs> so far... So, <laughs> so far, that's never happened. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to have shows about syphilis and more tumble tea, and uh, a couple surprises coming up in the next few weeks. But
0: can I ask one question before we go move on to the Titanic? Yeah. So, are you the, in light of the support for planet Pluto, yes. that we had last week, yes, are you going to challenge physics, Day and say it shouldn't be physicists that classified that planet? It should be planetary geologists.
1: Uh, we, we, he actually discussed that and <laughs> he, he gave, he gave a great simple answer when, cause he listened and he said, Hey, I heard Michael Hawley saying that, uh, it shouldn't have been the uh, cosmologists and astronomers, but it should have been the, the geologists and, uh, quite simply, nah, he's wrong. That was Dave's answer. Now that's not mine because
0: that that is quite Sheldon Cooper esque because uh, <laughs> he did not like geologists.
1: No, he's like, nah, No, nah, He's wrong. That's our job. Yeah, yeah, not theirs. <laughs> but...
0: I agree with Physics Dave. Well,
1: it's because you think Physics Dave is cute.
2: He is cute. <laughs> but
1: you know, so is Mike Holly. Don't they call Mike uh, Pretty Boy Holly? <laughs> In the Ripper community,
2: um,
0: I think the British I think the British Ripperology community has enough problems of its own without starting to to decide on how hot people are.
1: I know Tom Westcott has described him as pretty boy Holly. <laughs> uh,
0: Tom Westcott has described him as his spirit animal.
1: Yeah, he has described him as a little disturbing. <laughs>
0: That's funny. (laughs) But but Tom
1: Waskett has also told me he wishes he had my hair. So, you know,
0: Uh, your hair is awesome. Well, because my
1: hair is exactly like yours.
0: I know that's why it's awesome.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Oh, this is the (sighs) ramblings we talk about with history ramblings, people. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I wonder how much of it's going to get cut.
1: Oh, you'll 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 never know, and you never know what might come up as an Easter egg at the end of episodes from now on. You're going to have to listen all the way
0: through. <laughs> I have to watch what I say because I, I I think that was revenge against you being called obnoxious. He decided to. Ask
2: <laughs> <laughs> for,
1: the, for those of you who didn't hear the very very end of the last episode after the music played um, Lauren came back on to say
0: <laughs> we're all gonna get for this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh it was wonderful so, you know we're, we're gonna be talking about a pretty serious topic in a few minutes so we better put like our game faces on <laughs>
0: yeah I know it was a very serious um, situation and it had um, a lot of uh, social implications as well and highlighted a lot of social injustices within um, British Edwardian society
1: and one of the things that I really find fascinating about it is the discussion still going on around it about Mm treasure hunters and people profiting off it to this day, which I'm going to love to get into with Amanda if she's if she willing to go down that rabbit hole with me. But uh, Oh, right. Lauren, and I am about to bring Amanda on with us, who uh, I, I love how you describe Amanda as the author's best friend. And she really does one. She is. Oh, she runs one of the greatest Facebook groups out there. Uh, for writers and historians and researchers, and she's just one of the greatest people you could ever hope to meet. And uh, we have Amanda with us. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: And it's lovely to have you on. <clears throat> and we're going to have such a wonderful mix of accents tonight with... My New York Canadian accent, and so you have the lovely London accent, and then there's that Welsh thing going on on the other side. um, Yes,
2: that's right. I'm I'm common London Southern English accent. That's what I've got.
1: See, that's the accent everybody loves. Sorry about that. (laughs) We we love the accent. (laughs) Well,. We're going to be discussing, I know, a, a subject that you've been fascinated with for many years, and uh, that was the the Titanic and, and the sinking of the Titanic and, and the aftermath of the sinking. How did you first become so interested in the topic?
2: Well, I first became aware of it, I think, when I was a teenager, And I came across something about it. But history has always fascinated me. I've always been fascinated with what happened in the past. And it, I don't know, I then started reading books about it. Um, But it's only fairly recently that I've become interested in it again. Um, Over the years, I've, I've read about it. But just recently, I've been reading the um, inquiries that they did um, after the tragedy, after the accident. Um, both America and the, the British um, had, had uh, uh, independent inquiries into what actually happened. And I found that absolutely interesting. And it just generated my whole interest in it again. It's a, it's a remarkable story in itself. I mean, it was a terrible thing that happened, but it is fascinating.
1: Oh, it's so fascinating that, I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the unsinkable ship going down on its maiden voyage, and one of the things that I always found so fascinating about it was, I mean, this was big news all over the world when it happened. I mean, this wasn't just something that only England and America seemed to care about. I mean, this made headlines everywhere.
2: Yes. And it was a big shock to everybody, because they really did believe it couldn't sink. Um, And it shouldn't have sunk. I mean, it was built uh, with sinking in mind. I mean, it had compartments, watertight compartments, and Nobody believed that more than four compartments would be ripped open, and if only four compartments had been ripped open, it wouldn't have sunk. It was, it was unbelievable. People just didn't believe it could happen. I mean, it was—it was a tragedy, but in many ways it was. It was already having problems before it set sail. You know, at the time, people didn't realise, passengers didn't realise that there was actually a fire on board. And this fire started a week before it set sail. And it wasn't put out until the third day of the voyage. And this, I believe, weakened that area from the heat. Whether that had anything to do with the actual damage at the time it hit the iceberg, I don't know, but that was one theory that it actually had damaged already part of that 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 area of the ship with the intense heat from the coal, and of course the passengers were totally unaware of this drama going on down beneath them do you Do you think that it may have had some has had some impact on what actually happened?
1: I can't see how it wouldn't I mean. If it was you know, a fire going for that long, that many days, it's gotta have some kind of structural impact on the ship itself, you would think.
2: And of course, I mean not only that, you know, there was there was also just as it just as it left Southampton, on the tenth of April it left Southampton, already it would nearly got into trouble because I don't know if you you know about the New York ship. That was broke its moorings and yep. almost hit the Titanic on its way out of the Southampton Harbour. So it's almost like an omen, really, that the way that that happened, and then there was this fire burning right down in the bellows of the ship, and then, then this this happened, which you know nobody believed it, it could it could happen. It's a a fascinating story One of the things that comes out of the whole thing To me Is that it depicts very much How Victorian society Was How their attitudes were And the Titanic In the story in itself Brings out all the Victorian values It brings out the prejudices It brings out so much It brought out The best in people It brought out The worst in some people uh, In that sense It's a a fascinating tale Of people That find themselves Faced with this awful dilemma They knew Especially towards the end They knew that they were going to die That night It's a horrendous situation to be in And yet there was no pushing, there was no fighting, there was no scrambling to get into those boats. The men stood back, they let the women and children go. For, I can't imagine this happening today in the same way. Can you?
1: No. I, I always go back to the, the fact that the band continued to play as they were loading the boats. You know, first the band was still playing in the hall and then actually was on the deck performing. And I I, I can't even fathom a situation like that happening today, where people aren't just looking out for themselves when panic hits.
2: Yes, I mean you know absolutely, and uh, you know the women, many many women refused to get on the lifeboats purely because well some of them were too frightened because they felt that they were safer on the on the ship than getting into one of these boats. A lot of women wouldn't leave their husbands because they'd, you know, they, they they didn't want to leave their husbands and refused to go. Some of them stayed because their children, they, their sons were considered men, but they were only 14 or 15 years old. And one particular woman stayed on the ship with her son because he was only 14, but he was, he was considered a man. And couldn't go on the lifeboat with her, so she sent her younger son on the boat and then stayed with her 40-year-old. I mean, that is that was a a a really brave thing to do.
1: And it's it's amazing. You compared it to almost a representation of Victorian society and Victorian morals, Mm. and the ship itself sinking is almost like a harbinger of the end of the Victorian era and the end of that society. It's just... it. It's such a... Yes,
2: that's right. I mean, it wasn't actually the Victorian era, but it was still Victorian morals, wasn't it? The people that were on the ships were born in the Victorian. A lot of them were born in the Victorian era. And those Victorian values were very still, very strong. And... It's, it's it's yeah. I mean, I, I found that you know it was women first, and the, the the fact there was no scramble. that Men accepted that they weren't going to get off the ship, and they'd go and play cards. You know, some just refused to even come on deck. They stayed because they knew that they they were men, and they 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 wouldn't be allowed on in the lifeboat. So they did they didn't bother. They they went down and played cards and drank and smoked cigars. I mean, it's bizarre really, really bizarre how some of them behaved when you think about today's society and all that, you know, everybody out for themselves. But of course, today's society, we do have lifeboats for everybody on the ships now, so that situation perhaps wouldn't happen anyway. But it was clear they didn't have enough lifeboats. And, of course, most of them up on deck realized that.
1: Now, were they supposed to have more lifeboats at the time? Or were there no regulations for that?
2: Yes, there were regulations, and the Titanic actually met those regulations. They had actually two more lifeboats than they actually were obliged to have, believe it or not. When the Titanic was built, it was actually built to house 64 lifeboats. But it was then decided that it was going to look, and I saw it it was going to look cumbersome on the decks, and they then cut them down, and in the end they cut them down again to actually just 20 lifeboats.
0: Um, So, 60% of people aboard the Titanic perished, but according to some reports it was British passengers that were more likely to perish. Why would that be?
2: The, it was a very, again, um, you know, it, it was the, the class system And the first class people were the first to get off The women of the first class were the first to be brought onto the boat decks And then, of course, the second class then came up as well And they were just putting women and children in The third class uh, passengers were actually locked and had been on the whole journey. Had been locked down where they couldn't get up onto the, the decks that they weren't allowed to be on. They couldn't actually get to the decks. And when collision occurred, the gates were made sure that they were they were they were shot, shut because they didn't want. The third class passengers To suddenly surge up onto the deck And of course they had Over 700 or Third class passengers They had far more third class passengers Than they had first and second So to keep orderly They decided to let the first Class people um, Into the boats And then the second class people into the boats And The third class I, I, I think that they they were hoping that they'd have more time. That the, I think that the intention was to release the third class passengers at some point. But of course, they also thought they had a much longer time before the, the ship sunk. So actually, after you know a couple of hours—I mean, I think it's two two hours—they realised it was going down, and there wasn't the time. And of course, by the time last lifeboats hit the water. The ship was already seventy feet under, so the, the people in steerage had already drowned. They'd already died, and, and it, it's, it's absolutely awful. But it was just—it was the sheer class system, and that's why so many perished, and why so many first class and second, second passengers um, were saved.
1: Now you were saying earlier that you got really interested in the uh reading the inquiries by both the u.s and the british um reports did they come to similar conclusions or were they really in agreement or disagreement on a lot of the facts
2: um, i'm more acquainted with the american inquiry than i am with the british i have um i've not read the whole of the british inquiry but i have read um their conclusions and I think that the British Inquiry they, they felt that they were superior to the American Inquiry they were mainly naval people that were um, you know, that were doing the Inquiry whereas Senator Smith who was the one who ran the American Inquiry he had no navy or, or six years at all and he's questions the, the, the English felt that the, the the British felt that the the American inquiry didn't know enough about what he was talking about So I think that the actual British by they felt that they came to the right conclusions but actually the American inquiry was very thorough and Despite the fact that he might not have known as much about life at sea he was he he pushed for for the truth, and i think I think that the main thing that came out of both inquiries was of course that there'll be enough lifeboats on the ships, and that there'd be enough lifeboats for both passengers and crew and that was the uh, one thing and the other thing that came out of the inquiry was drills that the actual drill should be done within a few days at sea probably on the first day of sailing that they would have a drill so actually uh, passengers knew where they were going because that was another thing that on the Titanic they hadn't had any drill practice so the passengers weren't really sure where to go and most of them sensibly headed for the boat deck but there was an element of confusion, and people got lost in the ship and couldn't find how to get. Especially the the the, the few third class passengers and the second class who perhaps not been up on that deck, you know, couldn't find their way up there. Didn't know where they were supposed to be going. So that was something that came out of it was that you know that the uh, the safety of the people on the on the ships was, you know, was a priority it was up until then it hadn't been because they always believed that the ships they built was the main lifeboat, it was you know, you were going to be safer on the on the ships and not, not just the Titanic most passenger ships felt that, you know, they didn't need the lifeboats which is bizarre really well, and
1: it's you know, it's it's so sad that something so tragic has to happen to create positive change. That's actually, that, that should be the legacy of the Titanic that I've never even thought of as being the legacy. That, you know, because of this disaster, there's been so many improvements made to passenger safety. Um, I, for one, know that I have no sense of direction. I could get lost in my own apartment, which is only three rooms. There's no way I'd have been able to find the deck on the Titanic. I mean, it was massive. The fact that they got it lost. It was past,
2: massive, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely, and people couldn't. And the fact they got that got lost, and and yeah. you know that that was one of the things that came out that you know there hadn't been a real questioning exactly how many people were, were rescued, how many people were in each boat.
1: I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. What senator was that that led the uh, report for America?
2: Senator so, Smith, uh, Smith. He was the one who was the, the main uh, person who, who who led the inquiry, the, US, the USA inquiry. And he was very particular about the numbers of people in, in the boats. And, of course, another thing that came out of all that was, of course, the boats weren't even full up. I mean, the first boat that left had something like 28 people in it, when, in fact, they could hold anything up to 65 people. And, and a lot of it was because they, they hadn't been in this situation before. So the people that were lowering the boats were frightened to uh, overfill the boats because they thought that they would then warp the boat or, or break break the boat under the weight so they weren't putting in 60 people, they were putting between 30, 40 45 and then it's only the last two boats the proper two life boats that they actually put 60 people in and they realised it actually went down okay And it could have held so many more lives been saved had they actually filled them.
1: Yeah, because nobody knew. I mean, it was it it was you know it's just that nobody knew. They they were totally ignorant to the situation. They had never been in it. No one was prepared for it. I'm sure even the people working on the ship itself weren't prepared and wouldn't know how to direct people and what to do. It's just terrible to think how it was.
2: Well, it is. I mean, it was. I mean, you know, some of the stories that come out um, from reading the the Inquiry was because of some of the human stories, which I'd quite like to actually mention some of them, if that's all right with you. Because I find actually those human stories fascinating.
1: Yes, please, please do.
2: Um, I don't know if you know you yourself know about Harold Bride, for instance, who was the junior operator on the Titanic. He was only a young lad. He was junior uh, to uh, John Phillips, who was the senior operator. And he survived, but sadly, uh, John Phillips didn't. But Harold Bride was... Um, he was actually... Uh, in the in the wireless room with Philip and they were trying to get the SOS signals out they were um, they wouldn't leave um, and the actual room was filling up with water and they still wouldn't leave the, the wireless kept sending out signals and then it was only when uh, Captain Smith himself uh, to- told them that he was now every man for himself that they actually left the wider room and went up on deck. Now, Wright wouldn't leave uh, the ship because the captain hadn't told him he could. And so he didn't attempt to get into the water, swim in the water. And, of course, the ship was going down quite fast. And these were the very last boats going out, and these were the collapsible boats, and he was helping to get uh, get this collapsible boat ready when a wave came and took swept and took the boat out into the sea. And Bide, how Bide, actually went with it. He was holding on to it. And before he knew it, he was now in the sea. But not only was he in the sea, he was actually underneath the upside-down collapsible boat so he was in the water uh, and of course he realised that the ship was going down and he wanted to then get away so he managed to get out from under this uh, upturned boat and he swam away from the ship because he was terrified that the suction was going to take him down and it was only after the ship sunk that he then uh, swam back the upturned boat to find about 30 people all on it and he climbed on it himself and uh, another man swam and he couldn't get onto the boat, there was no more room for him, so he literally sat on Ride's legs on his feet all the way, all the time uh, until the Carpathia came along to rescue them so bride was in absolute agony with this man that was actually sitting on his legs crushing his feet but he didn't have the heart to tell him to get off he saved that man's life in that sense and to me it was it's just an unbelievable story you know that so many people died and yet there's these little stories where people did survive through either a freak of nature or I don't know. It, it you know, he sh- he should have died, but he didn't. And uh, sadly, one of the men that were on the Upton boat was his partner. He's uh, he's um, John Phillips, and John Phillips he was alive when he got on the boat, but sadly he died before the Carpathy came to rescue them. So that's one story that I find. It's the it's the human stories that fascinate me. I'm not interested in the same way about the dimensions of the ship or how the engines run, or the. Uh, it's the human stories that fascinate me.
1: Uh, that's exactly how I am. Uh, it's, which is why one of the things that's always well, not always, but since 1985, when the Titanic was discovered, one of the things that's always fascinated me was that in. 1986 the u.s congress actually passed a protective law that was called the rms titanic memorial act saying that essentially that the titanic was a grave and it should not be exploited or used for profiteering and again sadly and i'm sure you could speak to this better than i could people really haven't paid much attention to that law, have they?
2: No, you know, um, I think that many people see it as a commercial enterprise and there has been a protective um, order on it. Um, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but um, an act was passed to protect the site, but it is licensed out to various companies who do still to this day send the public that willing to pay down to see the titanic there's been a lot of uh, artifacts that have been taken from the site since well since 1985 uh, right up through to 2005 I believe it was that hundreds and hundreds of artifacts have been lifted from the site and what shocked me was the fact that many of them were auctioned off for vast sums of money. And to me, that is all wrong. It is a grave sight, and I was really upset when I read that. That you know, these—if it's gone to well, there are a lot, a lot of museums do have artifacts. They do have them, and there's an awful lot that has gone into private collections. And I just feel that it's wrong to sell off. It, it, it's grave robbery it, to me it's that, it's a it's, it's grave robbery i
1: i agree um there was a commercial on television here in the united states a couple of years ago where you could call this number and get a piece of the titanic that was recovered in one of the dives and i just even remember thinking at the time how that's yeah grave it's, robbery yeah
2: it it, it, I mean, it is it's sickening and i feel quite strongly about it you know why should somebody in 2012 die a ghastly death and they lie at the bottom of the sea to have their own personal effects to be lifted from the seabed to make someone to actually sell for millions of dollars i mean it's 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 a uh, it's really bizarre but the thing I think a lot of it as well is that raising money for the expedition for the expeditions they are actually recovering the money for the cost these expeditions cost millions and millions of dollars to to do so they're obviously selling the artifacts to recover some of that money and you know I can understand that they want to perhaps recover the money perhaps for the next expedition but to me I think that using selling off artifacts that belong to the dead is, is, is disgusting really I,
1: I know that James Cameron the filmmaker who, who made the movie Titanic has self funded several yeah. expeditions himself um, because I know he's publicly said he doesn't want people profiting off the treasure hunters as we call, you could call them that he has self-funded several of them. And Lauren, I know you wanted to say something about that.
0: Um, There is, in America, a private museum that is a full-scale replica of the Titanic and it holds possibly one of the most extensive collections of Titanic memorabilia. So, in talking about the, the potential grave robbing, would something like a museum be better or worse? Than um, selling the items off for private collections.
2: Well, I know that uh, I know that a lot of stuff has gotten into private collections, um, but I, I have nothing against recovering artifacts that are actually around the ship, because the ship itself I see as the grave in a way. Whereas things that are loose around, you know, I think they're sort of spread out nearly a mile, I think, some of these artefacts have been found, that there's nothing wrong with bringing some artefacts up and they're going into a museum for everybody to see. Uh, you, I mean, you learn a lot about uh, about th- through history. You, you, you learn a lot about visiting museums, don't you? And and seeing these things. I don't have anything against that. It's actually private collectors and private sellers that I'm against. You know these auctions that sell them off to. You know, you, 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 did you read about the bracelet with Amy on it? Did you, did you read about that?
0: No, I didn't read about that.
2: No. Well, there was a bracelet that was found and it was uh, gold and uh, I think diamond-studied um, bracelet and on it was, um, in jewels, was Amy and there was actually an Amy in the passenger list and when they brought this up, and I saw a program about it and they are um, talking about, you know, this Amy and how, uh, and how it was lovely to feel this, bracelet in your hand, it actually belonged to somebody on Titanic, and I read then uh, a few months later that was sold for I don't, I can't remember the amount, but I mean we're talking about millions of dollars, and that really upset me because I thought, well, Amy actually deserved more than that, really. If it got into a museum, and we learnt more about Amy, it would have been far better. Then it being sold and and um I don't know who's bought it, I don't know where it's gone now it's gone i no I mean, I think new museums could be a good thing, but it's the it's the greed I don't like it's 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 treasure hunting really, isn't it?
0: Well, one thing with the museum that I did find strange is that I know that it's a private museum, but they have let. Ghost hunting shows to come in and um, try and contact the spirits of the of the people that perished on the Titanic. You're going to come across names, or names are going to be thrown out from the passenger list, which is accessible to all. That um, you know there are going to be descendants of, and these people are going to be upset because they may hold religious views that these shows are in, you know, that these shows sort of contrast so I, I think you know that that it is a bit of a double edged sword with museums because they are looking at these weird ways of making revenue
2: yes yeah they, I mean they are and uh, I read uh, an article somebody said you know who do the artefacts belong to well to me they belonged to the people that had them and in turn it should be the families of those people that they should be returned to them well, that's the right thing to do, isn't it? You know, it wouldn't it be nice to trace Amy and, and found her relatives, her descendants, and returned it to them. I'd like to see that, but it's all about money, it's all about greed. And, you know, even museums are paying vast sums of money to get some of these artefacts, aren't they?
0: Um... Yes, they are, but it's quite weird because knowing a little bit about museums from volunteering there, everything that comes into their collection has to be accessioned. There has to be a paper trail of who it belonged to. So they have to have provenance of the items. Um, And they do have some things that are found by um, metal detectorists. And I know that in this country, at least, that if you find, um, I think it is more than one coin, it's considered a treasure treasure trove and you do have to declare that so it's kind of strange that these people are pulling up um, thousands you know millions and thousands of pounds or dollars worth of items and they're not you're not having to declare them to it to the state you're not having to declare them to anybody that's just kind of weird because if you were doing it on land with your metal detector then then there is there is, a, there is a process to follow so it, it does it, it is strange that if if the Titanic is protected by America by this by this act then why are these people being allowed to steal from it because that's what it is it's it's stealing
2: yes I, I feel that it is stealing I mean I, 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 if, if, like I said if they lifted artefacts up that's around the site with respect and in view to either return to families or to learn from them or you know to it's it's the it's the money side that's the that's done against it's it's they they're actually picking and choosing what's what's worth it's worth actually collecting what is saleable and the latest thing that i read was that they're trying to They're trying, I think it's 2021, I think they're hoping to do it. They want to go down and actually cut off the roof of the wildish Room to take the Marconi equipment from it because they know that the Marconi equipment from the Titanic will raise millions. And that is what they want to do and there has been a bit of a backlash there have been people that have been protesting against it but why you know what it is it, to me it's you know it should be there should be more control and i think that whatever this con, uh this uh protective order is it's not doing enough because people are still going down there there's still plans to to take more artifacts from the ship before it deteriorates even more because that's another thing of course it's, it's deteriorating quite fast so they want to get down there and get as much as they can yeah, yeah. And, and I think we all agree we all agree don't we that it's it's, uh, it's wrong I, I, I yeah, do absolutely. I, I, my thing is like
1: the Marconi equipment I understand why, people? Why that's significant? Why it's important? And and I, and part of me says that should be brought up, not for profiteering, um, but it, but it's history, and that's something that I would like to see be around for generations to come, to to be able to see and to actually know what it is. But to to do it for profiteering, that that's the part that bothers me, the historian in me wants the stuff here but the moralistic side of me just doesn't like like you said the the the, tre- the treasure hunting or the or the outright theft
0: I think um that I, I think I think if it wasn't to make money and they were raising the Maconie equipment and saying look this needs to be preserved it is um it is a big point, not only in Titanic history, but in the history of communication. We want it to preserve it. We want it to go to the Smitho- Smithsonian. Um, but I I just get this problem. They want to take a roof off and take it to make money. It's just like I hope there's a big shark that's living there and eats them. That's, that's, I, I do. I really do hope that big Arctic shark is living there.
2: Yes, it's, uh, it's all wrong all wrong and it, at the moment I think it's it's something that we, there's very little that we can do about it I think that they need to go back to the drawing board and actually you know find people actually uh, you know find the people that that do this that go down there and why are they allowed to do it when there's a protection order on it and the only thing I can think of is that perhaps the government's off from it as well. Because to me, it's a a bit strange, like you say, it's supposed to be a protective site and recognized as a grave, and yet all this is still going on.
1: I mean, part of Um, the problem part of the problem is that it's, you know, it is international waters, and people can make the argument that, well, who has the rights to that land that it's on? Is it is it the English because it's it was their boat and it would be their graveyard or is it the Americans or, or is it even the Canadians, which I believe where is where the boat? Yes, yeah, so I was she,
2: just going to say about the Canadians because actually yeah. it's only about four hundred. Yeah. Yes, it's it's. Uh,
1: yeah, closest to Newfoundland, uh, Canada. Yeah,
2: I mean, it, you know, it, to me, it's uh, it's um, it's something that needs to be addressed definitely can I just finish on a story As actually we all know this story about Mr and Mrs Strauss now we've all heard about Mr and Mrs Strauss haven't we
1: absolutely but I'd love you to tell the story
2: yes and again going back to Attitudes um, Mr and Mrs Strauss they were actually a part of the Macy um, store macy's um very wealthy uh, family and um they were first class passengers and they um they were up on the on the deck and her husband stepped back and uh she went to the lifeboat, and she then allowed her servant her maid to go in front of her and her maid went in front and got into the boat she then stepped into the boat and sat down and then she stood up and said to her husband We've been together for so many years Where you go, I go And she stepped back out onto the onto the ship to be with her husband And although we all know that story, I find it very moving Reading that, you know, this is just the strong feeling that she had with her husband that she preferred death to life and she wanted to be with him I think it's a, very, it's, a it's this little story about part of the Titanic story and it's one that you know, I just find fascinating
1: I mean it does show that even in tragedy the power of the human spirit and human emotion you know, there there still are examples of
2: yes,
1: truth and beauty, and I couldn't say it any. Better. Yes,
2: I mean you know that. that yeah, I mean they, they, no, and they, there there were many heroes, and of course I just want to mention also about the first officer Murdoch. Now he was on the port side, I believe, and he was helping people. Into the lifeboats. And I don't know if you know. In the film. That he was shooting. At passengers. And. That wasn't strictly true. He was shot. uh, uh, In the air. To try and calm down. These were the last boats. That were leaving. And there was a bit of a scuffle. And he shot in the air. And. I was reading a, a book recently, and it was actually the biography of um, uh, called Master uh, Hitchens. Now, Quartermaster Hitchens was actually at the at the helm when the ship hit the iceberg. He was at the wheel, and many years later, he said that First Officer Murdoch actually shot himself. After the last boat gone That he actually saw I, I don't know whether this story Is true or not But Mur- Murdoch was um, Tirelessly He saved many lives he, he, he got as many as he could in, Into the boat Especially towards the end He saved he, uh, some of the Some of the crew as well Because where they did Perhaps two or three men He was getting six or eight of the crew in the boats where there was no women left on the decks he was then sending people uh, around him into the boats and I was thinking about that you know that he was he knew he was going down with the ship he had a revolver and he shot in the air to calm things down and yet when the last boats went and he was alone he actually shot himself and I thought well was this true and then I was thinking about, well, actually, imagining being on a ship and it's going down, the only way forward is actually drowning in the sea. And I actually think perhaps he did shoot himself as a preferable alternative. But, of course, that never came out in the inquiry because, obviously, suicide would be something that was frowned upon. But it came out much later and uh, and... You're never quite sure when stories come out many years later, just how much truth is to them. But it wouldn't surprise me if you did. Have you you either? either Have you heard that story? I have
1: have not heard that story, but I certainly would have pulled the trigger on myself at that point, um, with the alternative staring at me on the sinking ship. So there's no doubt There's no doubt in my mind that that's the route I would have taken as well, so I absolutely believe it.
0: Probably the last measure of control that he had, so it's possibly he wanted to end it on his terms.
2: Yes, I think you're right there, Lauren. I think that's exactly what he did, if it's true. But actually, it has a a ring of truth to it, doesn't it? It, it? It does, to me.
1: Personally, I cannot thank you enough for coming on to do this uh, episode about the Titanic. And I'm really glad to have someone like you on to discuss the human element of it. Um, Like you said, so many people obsess on the size and the dimensions and the technical aspects of the boat. But I really wanted to talk about and touch on the human side of the story. And uh, I'm really, really thankful that you came on to do that for us. But before we let you go, there is one more question we have to ask. <laughs> we have one more question we have to okay. ask before we let you go, and that is, Pluto, is it... Oh, gosh.
0: No. No, 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 no. Is it, no.
1: Is it or is it not a planet?
0: <laughs> How dare you do this to every single one okay, of our
1: <laughs> Well... Every guest I'm asking if they believe the planet Pluto is a planet or not, because the scientists have reclassified it as a dwarf planet, and and I disagree with them, and I want to start a campaign to bring Pluto back as a planet, so what do you think? Is Pluto a planet or no?
2: Well, if I was really honest with you, I don't think I could care less one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer ever.
1: Oh, that is absolutely the <laughs> oh, seriously. best.
2: Seriously, <laughs> um, I mean, class. Yeah, seriously though, I, I just I don't understand the fascination for other planets myself because. I think we made such a mess of this one. I think we should concentrate more on what's going on here than worrying about what's out there. It's just how I feel really. Yeah, Brian.
1: I I do have it's to say that is the best answer we've gotten so far, by far. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Well, thank you. For,
1: thank you so much. Thank you Amanda.
2: very much for having me.
1: Absolutely, we'd love thank to talk you. to you again. Oh,
2: uh, really, oh my <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. Bye, 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 Amanda. See you soon.
1: All right. So that was that. Uh, that was amazing. I loved having Amanda on.
0: It's amazing. I love all. Uh, again, I'm going to mention Rippercast. The Rippercast she is on are fantastic. Mm. Everybody should check out RipperCast because there's a certain grind on them too.
1: Yeah, and uh, I was actually talking to Jonathan Mengus, uh, the host of RipperCast, which I don't know if you knew this, Lauren. Did you know that RipperCast is the first true crime podcast ever?
0: No, I didn't know that, but that's fascinating to know. It's a it brilliant
1: was, podcast. It predated every other true crime podcast by two years.
0: Fantastic. It's brilliant. It,
1: and Amanda. How is Jonathan? Oh, Jonathan's great. He was a. Uh, he was one of the people who said he would love to come on and talk about the Titanic. And then I said, hey, "I have Amanda coming on." He's like, "Oh, no, you got the right guest." <laughs> so
0: he's more than welcome to come on any time. I mean, maybe next time we have Mike on because he has some. Um, fa- um, because what I like um, when he's discussing Tumble Tea with Mike is that. Um, he brings context to the situation by mentioning other criminals, other crimes that were going on at the same time and developed the police force and how they investigated and stuff. And I really (laughs) love that.
1: And me and uh, Jonathan discussed the possibility of him coming on to do a show on one of his favorite topics, the JFK assassination.
0: (gasps) Oh, that would be so good. Uh, That would
1: be great. But having Lauren today, uh, Lauren, you... And Amanda, today, has been fantastic. And like you said, check out RipperCast, which is available on all your podcast sites. And Amanda's been on several episodes. I've been on quite a few of them. I'm not saying to go listen to the ones I did, because you get enough of that here. But you go definitely go check out the ones that Amanda's done. They're fantastic. And before we sign off for tonight, Lauren, do you have anything else you want to say? Other than, uh, you know, hashtag ProPlanetPluto?
0: Um, no, I don't want to say that. I think you just got owned by a man.
1: I did. But it won't stop me.
0: I know it won't stop It's going to be every episode, isn't it?
1: it, it oh, it, it, we never know. That and Tom Jones will be mentioned at least once in every episode.
0: <laughs> and again, for the Tom Jones, I say thank you.
1: I say thank you.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> did you know that there is going to be you know the novel tom jones by henry fielding yes that's where tom jones got his name and there is going to be a musical of the novel tom jones to the music of tom jones
1: okay is this going to be done worldwide or just in wales because i'm renewing my passport now
0: um i think it's going to be i think it's going to start in the west end and then make its way around Uh, can i tell
1: an embarrassing tom jones story yeah! I, uh, I When I was a young, much younger man, I used to work concert venues. I, I was a guitar technician, and I worked stage crew, and I had the pleasure of working multiple Tom Jones shows over the years. And I was trying to explain to some of the guys on the crew that, that women still go so crazy for Tom Jones that they'll be throwing their underwear on stage. And he didn't believe that that really happened. So that night, from the orchestra pit, When the women started throwing their underwear at Tom Jones, I threw a pair of mine at him, too. (laughs) So that time that Tom Jones was playing in this area and had the big pair of boxer shorts come right at his mic stand, that was me. It's a true story, Lauren.
0: (laughs) I believe that it's a true story. Oh, my gosh. Come on, it's Tom Jones. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you have his autograph
1: I do I do have a Tom Awesome. Jones. I do but we are we are autograph nerds to the two of us um, I've got Absolutely. some good new ones lately but uh, maybe we'll do an episode on autograph collecting
0: well, we should the history of autograph collecting
1: yeah, that'd be great but anyway yeah. it's about time we sign off so from Brian in New York
0: I'm as- Lauren and Well. Good night. Night.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I agree with the Ziggs Dave. <laughs>